as you all know, no doubt, uh, Insaru Sen just passed away um, earlier last month. So this um, is as much a tribute as a scholarly intervention. Um, allow me to begin with uh, two shares from his friend Nasir Kazmi, one of the most important intellectual or literary partnerships um, in the post-partition history of Urdu. Tha lutf vasl aur kabhi afsoon-e intezar. Tha lutf vasl aur kabhi afsoon-e intezar. Yun dard-e hijr silsilae jumba na tha kabhi. Sometimes it was the pleasure of union, sometimes the magic of waiting. The pain of separation, such an endless trembling, never was. Sadae raftagan phir dil se guzri, nigae shok kis manzil se guzri. The call of the departed has passed through the heart once more. What limit experience passion's eye has crossed. It seemed appropriate that when news of first his hospitalization, then of Intizar Hussain's death, came in earlier this month, I happened to be reading Shock of the Anthropocene, The Earth, History, and Us, the illuminating new book by Christophe Bonnoui and Jean-Baptiste Cresseau that provides a tour de force conspectus of the modern period in the light of the historical rupture to end all historical ruptures, the Anthropocene. I had ordered the book to review for the three-week module, Modernity and Ecology, after the <coughs> modules on modernity and world historical identity, political modernity, economic modernity, and before the final module on modernity and religion in our second semester course in the Habib University Liberal Core Curriculum required of all freshmen, what is modernity? The readings assigned in the module to our first batch in 2015, though incisive on fossil fuels from Alfred Crosby's Children of the Sun, after all, no fossil fuels, no modernity, but especially Joel Covell's Enemy of Nature, End of Capitalism or End of the World, were too theoretically dense to be either comprehensible or persuasive to an undergraduate audience, so freshman audience. I was looking for a text that was both more empirically and historically dense and conceptually and globally more comprehensive, as well as clear enough in its exposition to speak to the entire incoming cohort. The Owl of Minerva rises only at dusk. That clarity and globality seems to have arrived with shock of the Anthropocene. What is Modernity is the key freshman gateway course in the Habib Liberal Core Curriculum and fulfills the minimum two-course requirement in historical and social thought, together with Modernity in South Asia, that our students take immediately after. We have foregrounded the question and time period of modernity in the core curriculum precisely because we believe that a conceptually and historically rigorous sense of the historical specificity of the modern period is, his, is essential to a historical sensibility, a sense of historical difference. History has no doubt always been about both continuities and discontinuities in varying measures. And one of the tasks of historical argument is precisely this measure and judgment of rupture and continuity. But as the Anthropocene bears out, the modern time period has witnessed ruptures like no other in human history, giving human historical ruptures for the first time a geological measure. In turn, the sense of historical difference is, of course, important for its conceptual and practical counterpart, a sense of historical contingency, hence a sense of alternatives, of possibilities, including possible continuities. This is why after our cohorts take these two courses in the global and regional histories of modernity, they take a course called Hikmah, the history of Islamic thought, where the main textbook this year in the first ever iteration of this course is Shahab Ahmad's landmark text just published this year, What is Islam? The Importance of Being Islamic. 
magisterial attempt to uncover and make conceptually available a sense of Islam outside the discursive prisons of modernity, the incarcerations of its regimes of truth. Which does not, of course, mean that it hearkens us to a chronologically pre-modern period. This is the other violence that modern historical consciousness, the concept of progress, does to our sense of historical time, evacuating the historical moment of its temporal plurality and stratificity. The pre-modern is not a dead past. It is a living presence and possibility in the now, a set of living layers, sediments, and traces in the historical present. As Faulkner said, the past isn't dead. It isn't even past. This dual interlinked pedagogical task, the interrogation of modernity, the uncovering and reconceptualization of tradition, critique, and anamnesis has become ever more urgent with the shock of the Anthropocene. Indeed, Intazar Hussain was most pleased when he came to Habib University this, just this past academic year with the kind of historical, critical historical sensibility that our students um, are developing at Habib. This past winter has seen the increasing discursive normalization of the concept of the Anthropocene. Later this year, the Subcommission on Quaternary Stratigraphies Working Group will present a proposal to the International Commission on Stratigraphy to formally declare this new human-made geological age. There is some difference of opinion on when the Anthropocene began. Banui and Fresso, like many others, begin circa 1800 with the Industrial Revolution, but many geologists recommend the middle of the 20th century, after which humans have left a deep geological layer of nuclear isotopes in the Earth in the wake of the thousands of nuclear tests carried out since then. In Zarosen always had this nuclearization at the back of his mind, the constant references through, to it throughout his career. In any case, Banui and Fresso also recognize and record the rapid acceleration of the Anthropocene from the mid-20th century. This would mean that Intazar Hussain's writing career began with the onset of the Anthropocene and concluded on the cusp of its discursive normalization. Certainly, he seems to have always thought and wrote anthropocenically. He is mostly known as a writer of partition, but perhaps alone among South Asian writers, Intazar Hussain held together in his thinking and writing in his singularly anamnestic, mournful narratives and anti-narratives, the thought of modernity and the thought of partition. The two went together for him. As he reflected on the rupture of partition, the modern human destruction of nature was always in train. Allow me to quote at length from his last memoir, Justuju Kya Hai, What Is It You Search For, from Ghalib's distich, distich, easily read anthropocenically, since material and spiritual destruction are inextricably intertwined in it, Jala hai jism jahan, dil bhi jal gaya hoga. Kurete ho joab raak, justuju kya hai. Where the body has burned, the heart too will have been incinerated. If you now rake the ashes, what is it you search for? Intizar Hussain is in this section recalling the plethora of species that surrounded him as a child before the partition and that have since disappeared. I begin as he turns from birds to insects. I begin as he turns from birds to insects, especially since he recalls here an insect whose disappearance I too have often mourned. Aray, mein parindon ka zikr kiye ja raha hoon. Barsat ki is ranga rang ummat ko kyun faramosh kiya? He's calling it, he's calling these insects an ummat. Very interesting. A sacred community. Barsat ki is ranga rang ummat ko kyun faramosh kiya jaye? जो तर बतर धरती से बरामद होती है इस उम्मत में खाली सांप सपोलिए और खनखजूरे थोड़ा ही होते हैं 
वो तो जहरी कीड़े हुए और कीड़े मकोड़े भी तो होते हैं केंचुए कंसलाई कंसलाइयाँ आँख फोड़े और रोशनी के गिर्द मनलाते परवाने आँख फोड़े तो मैंने तकल्लफन कहा है या समझ लीजिए कि अजराय लगत हम तो इसे आँख फटा कहते थे एक आँख फटा वो होता था कि बिल्कुल सब्स के घास में बैठा होता बिल्कुल घास छेड़ो तो फुरर करके उड़ा और हम समझते थे कि सीधा हमारी आँख पर आएगा और हमारे दीदे फोड़ देगा इनमें सबसे बढ़कर और सबसे खूबसूरत वो नन्नी मखलूक थी जिसे बीर बहूटी कहते हैं दिस रेन इंसेक्ट दिस एब्सोलूटली गॉजस रेन इंसेक्ट आई डोंट नो हाउ मैनी ऑफ यू हैव हैड द प्लेजर ऑफ विटनेसिंग दिस रात को बारिश हुई और सुबह सुबह हम निकल पड़े आबादी से बाहर किसी बाग में किसी सब्जाजार में जा पहुंचे बीर बहूटियाँ ही बीर बहूटियाँ जैसे किसी फंकार ने लाल मखमल से तराश तराश कर ये गुमटियाँ सब्जे पर बिखेर दी और वो शादार सब्जे के फैस से मुतहरक हो गई मगर जरा हाथ लगा कर देखो फौरन जामिद हो जाएंगी उन्हें समेटा और शीशी में भर लिया थोड़ी सी पीली मिट्टी डाल दी लो उन्हें गजा मसर आ गई फिर रेंगने लगी कुदरत खुदा की एक छींटा पड़ा और धरती के अंदर से अच्छा बरा अच्छा बुरा कितना कुछ निकल पड़ता है शायद धरती के अंदर भी एक दुनिया आबाद है हमारी आया अम्मा कहा करती थी कि धरती के भीतर पाताल हैं वहाँ सांपों के राजा का जिसे वो राजा बासठ कहती थी महल है जो अंधेरे में जुगर जुगर चमकता है हमारी हमजोली कहते थे कि जमीन के अंदर बालिशते रहते हैं अगर कानी उंगली से एक बालिश गहरी जमीन खो दी जाए तो बालिशते निकल पड़ेंगे हम में से किसी की कानी उंगली में इतना दम नहीं था कि बालिश भर गहरी जमीन खो दे इसलिए बालिश्तियों को देखने की बस आरजू रह गई खैर ऐसी और कितनी आरजुएं थीं जो कभी पूरी ना हुई सबसे बढ़कर ये कि कभी मुझे जिन दिखाई तो देता मेरे साथ के सभी आवारा गर्दों को किसी ना किसी मौके पर कोई जिन जरूर नजर आया बस मुझे बस मुझे ही कभी दिखाई नहीं दिया अरे कुछ पता तो चलता कि वो होता कैसा है दिस इज विंटेज इंतजार हुसैन द बाउंटियस प्लोरलिटी एंड वंडर ऑफ नेचर इंटरटाइन विद मिस्टीरियस मिथिकल डायमेंशन इन एन एकोलॉजिकल होल दैट हैज बिन शैटर्ड इन बोथ डिमेंशन जला है जिसम जहां दिल भी जल गया होगा His most famous work, Basti, whose translation was recently published in the New York Review of Books Classic series, after, only after which Inzar uh, Hussain was nominated for the Man Booker Prize, is replete with this matrix. Written after his hopes for Pakistan had gone through several rounds of denudation, Inzar Hussain's 1979 novel Basti has for its protagonist a character whose life is denuded and drained through partition. the college history professor zakir from zikr recollection or better i think the better translation is anamnesis no doubt one reason among many muslims took to plato like bees to honey anamnesis as well as saying no speech without memory so zakir the one who unforgets and recounts also among shias zakir is the profession of someone who recounts the battle of karbala the paradigmatic site of destruction and mourning The novel follows the folds of Zakir's pre-partition memories through the course of a tumultuous day in the life of a Pakistani city, presumably Lahore, where Intizar Sahib settled after 1947 in an anarchic time when the social fabric is tearing apart the last months before the fall of Dhaka as it is called in Pakistani jargon. Two of the most memorable scenes that surface in Zakir's dream memories of his pre-partition North Indian basti, the idyllic village of Roopnagar. are episodes from the natural history of the arrival of electricity there i'm calling it the uh, natural history 
as part of its entanglement with the simultaneously enchanting and ominous world of nature that enveloped its life, Rupnaga is intermittently invaded by passing troops of monkeys that wreak havoc on the basti. One such invasion happens to coincide with the stringing of wires on the electricity poles that had themselves arrived so much earlier that they had all but disappeared into the basti's dusty landscape. The wires now live in the center of Rupnaga's little bazaar. A monkey leaps and swings on them only to fall dead to the ground. The Basti people try to revive the creature by throwing water on him, but he lies lost in his, in his befuddled death. The scene is repeated twice before the monkeys understand and leave the town in a, mode, in a mood of dejected innovation. Here is the searing remark, and this is the khulasa um, here. Here is the searing remark that ends the episode. Rupnagar, offering up its three monkeys as a sacrifice, had entered the age of electricity. After its ominous inauguration, the second signal episode in the natural history of Rupnagar's electrification happens in the course of its gradual spread through the life world of its inhabitants, the incremental devouring of the spaces of night by electrical light in the Basti. Zakir's grandmother, Biyamma, Recall the time when a single torch in the Basti's small bazaar provided the only respite from the insistent hugeness of the night and when lanterns arrived to expand this shelter. She seems to regret in her recount the further encroachment of night by the light of electricity. Now the uh, turn has come for the Basti's mosque to yield to modernity's enlightenment of the colony. Her son, Zakir's father, Abhajan, refuses to allow this to happen. This is Biddat, he declares. Three nights he stands guard at the mosque, as if protecting the sublime sanctity of the darkness of the prayers of Maghrib, Isha, and Fajr. Truly, the experience of these prayers, all three of them would have been very different before the arrival of electricity. When Biyama falls ill one evening and he retreats to his home, only to find her dead upon his arrival, and then discovers upon his return to the mosque at Fajr that Addison's bulb has already appeared there. He turns around and goes home to say the early morning prayers, alone for the first time in his life. The episode rem reminds me of a literary anecdote I read about the response of an early 20th century alim, and they used to be immersed in literature then, to Iqbal's boast to God, many of you must know this, to Shaba Fridi Chiraga Freedom. If you made the night, I made the lamp. Unimpressed, the Malvi offered the astute literary critical observation to compare the vast and mysterious phenomenon of night to a mere dia does not seem quite appropriate. To be sure, unlike Intazar Hussain, Iqbal is weak on cosmology and has little relation to the vast spatio-temporal expanse of night, limitless darkness in space, as well as the fathomless depth of time that dominates the universe and envelopes human existence. The sense of historical rupture and cosmological death are as closely related as is the ecological dimension and may be said to be the threefold of Intazar Hussain's anthropocenic thinking. Here is another example of the relation between the former two dimensions of this threefold. After reporting on the pleroma of arts, trades, cuisines, colors, fragrances, tastes, idioms, games, hobbies, intercommunal holidays, rites, seasons in the life of Old Delhi as it existed, that is, before 1857, and then again during the few decades of its revival before the ascendance of New Delhi in the wake of the Darbar of 1911, there is this passage in Intazar Hussain's recent Delhi Thajeskanam, the Delhi that was. 
Seeing this entire topography, it appears that this civilization was predominantly a civilization of the five senses. How much had been provided for the satiation of all the senses and how they had entered the necessaries of life? Yes, but the satiety of the senses was not its limit. Acknowledging the five senses, it appears to then move ahead. Scent passes through sensual experience to find a path into spiritual experience and becomes the fragrance of faith. In shrines and in sheer morning houses, colorful sachets, incense burning in incense holders, suffused with that another fragrance, that of frankincense, around standards on beers in shrines, strands of flowers. Now it feels as if this scent has escaped the circle of sensuality and brings report of a world beyond. The fragrance of faith and the color of imagination had altogether made things into something else, such that around everything known there appeared a halo of the unknown, and familiar impressions seemed to enclose a certain secret. What this means is that the satisfaction and fulfillment of the five senses had its place, but this matter had another dimension as well, which was beyond the senses. And in this way, this civilization appeared to travel from the known towards the unknown, and from the existent towards the beyond. This was but bound to happen. After all, this city was not only the capital of kings, it also had the privilege of being the threshold of 22 saints. The mystic had long saturated and settled in its air. That's my translation, quote, end quote. Ultimately, however, Intizar Hussain's sense of historical difference, of historical rupture, was grounded in the experience of partition, of which he and his literary circle were acutely aware and evinced repeated av avowals. Circa 1960, in a literary critical essay attempting to characterize the singular modernity, the singularity of the historical temporal experience of his generation of Pakistani or Indo-Muslim literati, and he is primarily thinking of himself and his friend, the poet Nasir Kazmi, whose distich ends the passage translated here, quote, these people are not new in the sense that they have fulfilled the new demands of their society or that they have infused their literature with new scientific inventions. If newness were dependent on this, then Mr. H.E. Wells would be the representative novelist of the 20th century, and Thomas Mann, who wrote a series of novels on the basis of a few legends of the Old Testament, would have been considered an outdated Dakyanusi novelist. Similarly, among us, when various poets were trying very hard to become modern by writing poems about the railway engine and the airplane, there are many poems like this from Tarakipasan uh, poets, poor Allama Iqbal was involved in nostalgia, nostalgia and was writing masjid e kurtaba The difference between the moderns of that period and this period is that for the former, the railway engine and the airplane were the touchstone of knowledge of the times, and for the latter, it is the Sputnik and news of the threat of a third world war in the newspaper. As far as Allama Iqbal is concerned, the writers of today certainly have a relationship with him, but with this difference. For him, the past was a clear and determined relation. This relation had come within his circle of apprehension and he had faith in its truth. This is why he could say with conviction that I, in whose lyric, is a trace of the fire of the past. For the writers of today, the past is no longer a clear and determined relation. Rather, it is a bundle of relation whose tips come into their grasp only to slip away, nor are they convinced of the truth of these relations. In such a situation, all they can do is dejectedly say, Mil or kuch din phiro udas udas. This is Nasir Kazmi. You are bound to find a trace of the departed 
keep up this melancholy wandering for a few more days. This acute sense of historical rupture is also evinced at, at um, the level of form and genre in Intizar Hussain. The Caribbean anthropologist and theorist of anti-colonial utopian thought, David Scott, in his book Conscripts of Modernity, The Tragedy of Colonial Enlightenment, has argued through his reading of a minor edition in C.L.R. James's revision of his classic The Black Jacobin, whereby the terrible fate of Toussaint Louverture is reconfigured as epitomizing the fatally lost hopes of the Haitian Revolution, that today a major reformulation of our philosophies of the historical trajectory of anti-colonial nationalism is in order. We in the post-colonial world must no longer narrate our stories of independence as romances, but rather recite them as tragedies. There is an interesting, there is an arresting premonition and reflection through the question of genre in its relation to historicity of this historiographic philosophic insight in perhaps one of Intazar Hussain's most well-known stories, the 1952 work, Ek Bin Likhi Razmiya, an unwritten epic. Here, the narrator keeps a diary of his attempt to write an epic on the subject of Pakistan's freedom alongside the narration of this very epic, or rather just its beginning, for the very character on whom the hero of this would-be epic is based, a village pehlwan somewhere in the United Provinces, who in the opening sequence of the intended epic fights valiantly against Hindus in the communal riots leading up to independence in the conviction that his village will surely be part of Pakistan, suffers a most unheroic fate in the ignoble business of partition, and an even more demeaning turn of events and state of affairs greets him in his beloved utopia of Pakistan in its concrete historical realization, the double disgrace draining him of all epic heroic elan vital. The narrator himself then pro uh, records in the final entries of his diary the brief tale <coughs> of the corruption of his own vitality. Frustrated as a writer by the impossibility of epic expression in the wake of partition, he is allotted a mill through the nepotistic networks that spread through the foundations of Pakistan at the very moment of its emergence and abandons his writing career even before it has begun. This tale of artistic slash morals slash spiritual exhaustion is perhaps the fourth fold, the fourth fold in Intizar Hussain's anthropocenic complex of thought, together with historical rupture, cosmological shallowness, ecological ruin, which constitutes a signal chapter in the intellectual history of Pakistan. Thank you. Thank you very much.